How many of you guys, uh, when New Coke came out, tried New Coke? Raise your hands if you tried it. If you just tried it. How many of you guys stayed with New Coke? There was a reason it didn't stay on the market. Because people, when they get used to something, they like to stay with that something most of the time. That's the way we were built. That's just the way we are. This is the way we've always done it. Okay? The carpet in the church has always been this color. Wait, wait. The, the pews have always looked like this. This is the way we've always done the service. No drums in the service. Are you kidding me? We, we get set in the way we look at things. And sometimes we allow our personal desires to overshadow and even be disobedient to God's plan is what He's unfolding. And I just want you to think for a second even about Peter, the man who was probably closest to Jesus. Some would argue John was, but Peter was the leader, right? Jesus really didn't entrust the leadership to John, probably because he was younger. He entrusted it to Peter. When Jesus left, Peter was the guy that was kind of the leader. Eight or nine years after Pentecost, we're talking eight to nine years later, Peter is still struggling with eating shrimp and eating bacon and the dietary laws. That's when the sheet came down. Think about that. And it didn't just come down once in a dream. It came down three times because Peter's stubborn. But think about that. This is eight or nine years after this new system had been in place. We don't do it the old way, Peter. He still struggled. So is it any wonder we struggle today? The other day I asked the guy, if you were to die right now and stand before God, and he said, why should I let you in? What would you say? Well, um, I've done a pretty good job of loving people. And... Now, he professes to be a believer. And he knows about Jesus, and he did. He said, I, you know, I, I, I know it would uh, be by Jesus. But then he added, but I've done a pretty good job of loving people. I've done a good job of trying to keep the Ten Commandments. And he threw in effort along with the crucifixion and along with Jesus interceding. And guys, that's simply not right. It's not anything you do ever. It's always Him and Him alone. That's the new system. The new system is He is the one sacrifice. No work you do, nothing you bring to the table adds to that. If you add to it, it's a different gospel. And I told him that, and he goes, wow, I never thought about that. But we're programmed to think that we have to do something. And so even the Old Testament Jews, it was never supposed to be about the works themselves. It was always faith. Abraham was not saved by works. He was saved by what? Faith. 
He was actually saved by grace through faith. And so it was the same with David. All God's people in the Old Testament that were brought into the family of God were done so by grace through faith. The works were them working out what God had told them to do. It was symbolic for a reason. All right, why do you, why do you send a child to kindergarten and then elementary school before they go up to college? It's building blocks, right? They grow. And so as God unfolded His plan throughout creation, He starts off with Adam and Eve in the garden. And what He does is He starts off showing to mankind a picture book. The education level is very basic. So I have to give them pictures of who Jesus is going to be so they understand. So He starts developing this... this uh, the system, or he develops a system that they're being programmed to sacrifice because of sin. And they see that they, there needs to be a shedding of blood for sin. And he unfolds this so that in the New Testament times, when Jesus comes on the scene, now people have been looking, and they've gotten used to this, so they can look to Jesus and they understand now, He revealed it always through His Holy Spirit to people. Not everybody got it. Not everybody wanted to receive it. And so, what we've been looking at in Hebrews is these are Jewish people who would have been really entrenched in this sacrificial system. And they're really struggling with the fact that Jesus is high priest. Because in the Jewish system, the high priest was everything. Because that was the only person that could go to God on your behalf for forgiveness of sins and offer the sacrifice. And so, what we've been dealing with for the last few weeks is, you've got a group of people that were entrenched in this system, and people are saying, there's a new high priest. But there's a problem. He's not from the tribe of Levi. And no priest had ever existed outside of that tribe of Levi for God's people except one guy, and we looked at him last week, Melchizedek. But he wasn't for the Israelites. Melchizedek was for everyone. He preceded Abraham. He was a high priest before Abraham really even was thinking that much about God. Other than he heard his voice and he was following him. And so... This writer takes him back to Melchizedek. And we looked at that last week. And we looked at the things about Melchizedek. By the way, just um, for, as a reminder, Hebrews, the overarching theme is that Christ is supreme in the whole book. That's it. In chapter 1, He's supreme to everything and everyone. He's the exact nature, the exact imprint of God, it says. But then in chapter 2, He says He's supreme to angels. And we, we looked at that in chapter 3. He's superior to Moses, which was the lawgiver. Moses was the man. Even more revered than Abraham in a lot of places by most Jews. And then in chapter 4, we saw he was superior to Joshua, which led the children of Israel into the new land. And then in 4.14, it refers to him as the great high priest. And so now he's been dealing with this issue of the high priest. And throughout his instruction he's giving warnings he gives five warnings in the whole book chapter 2 
And the reason he's warning is because there's a group of people in this faith community who aren't all in. They've left Judaism, but they're getting persecuted and they want to go back to the Judaic system. And he's saying, don't. You've got to be all in with Jesus. Now listen, I want to clarify this because there's people that have a problem with the term all in. And all in does not mean that you're perfect and you have it all figured out and you're going to live a perfect life the rest of your life. That's not what it means. All in means that you know that you're nothing without Jesus. And there has to be a point in your life where you're all in to understand that and you give Him your life. It doesn't mean... Look at Peter. Peter starts going back and starts trying to do works. But at one point, he was all in to where the Holy Spirit came in and said, okay, Peter, I've got you. And the best part about that is Philippians 1.6 says, He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it at the day of Christ. That means He's working in you from the moment He comes in and changes your heart. It doesn't mean you're perfect. So when I say all in, please don't hear me saying, okay, I'm all in and I'm all in every day 24-7 and I'm perfect every day 24-7. That is not what I'm saying. Bob, you struggle. Remember we were talking about that. That was a struggle. All in means that you know I need Jesus. That's what it means. And nothing else is going to take care of my relationship with God the Father except for Jesus. And I, I, I just, what I struggle with is somebody, and there's a movement now among young millennials to say, well, Jesus did everything for me, and I can never be all in, so I'm not going to say that. That's a work on my part. That's ridiculous. You're saying you don't believe Philippians 1.6 that He who began a good work with you. I mean, the whole purpose... Remember when Jesus some guys came up to Him and said, hey, I want to follow you, but first I've got to do this? He said, then go away. Why would He say that to them? You know what they were saying? They're saying, I'm not all in. First, I've got to go do this. Jesus was secondary to them. He said, if you want to follow me, you've got to deny yourself. Take up your cross daily and follow me. And people relegate that to some second level discipleship. No. At some point, he has to come in. He has to be everything to you. And if he's not, and that's the way this second group of people was. So he warns them five times in the book. First warning, chapter 2. Hey, don't drift away from the message. You've heard it. You've been exposed to it. Intellectually, you bought into it. If you start drifting, you're going to become hardened to it. And that's why he says in the second warning in chapter 3, don't harden your heart. Don't harden your heart. Because if your heart's hard, you're not going to receive the truth. And he warns them and he takes them back to Psalm 95, a warning David gave people, which was back from Numbers and Exodus, when the children of God were in the wilderness and they hardened their heart. He said, don't do that. And then we saw chapter 5 through 6, 12, the third warning is don't waver. Don't go back between Judaism and here. Stay with Jesus. He's saying, be all in with Jesus. Let him be the one. And then he mentions this name. The reason he did the third warning, oh, he, he starts to tell them about Melchizedek because he knew they were going to struggle with the, Jesus not being from the tribe of Levi. And then he realizes, i got people here who aren't all in. They don't even have the Holy Spirit. How are they going to understand this? This is, this is college-level stuff. They can't understand this without the Holy Spirit. So he warns them. And after that warning, he then goes into Melchizedek. And I believe some of the people that were there actually said, wow, We've been missing it. He's right. 
they repented and I believe the Spirit came into them. The Spirit can give you understanding like that. It's not a time-based thing. It's just a Spirit-based thing. And so then he goes in, last week we looked at Melchizedek, who he was, and how he and Jesus are the only two humans in the Bible who were both king and priest. The only two. Messiah was, but Jesus was Messiah. And so I showed you last week in Genesis 14, Psalm 110, and Zechariah 6, how it, it was this unfolding of this knowledge about who Melchizedek was and that he was to pre he was kind of like a preview of who Jesus was going to be because he was a universal priest remember Aaron was only a national priest Aaron was subject to the king Melchizedek was a king uh, Aaron was a priest by by heredity Jesus was a king by character and the fact that he had an indestructible life we saw the priesthood of Aaron, you only served for 20 years, from 30 to 50, and you were done. But the priesthood of Melchizedek was eternal. All that, I never knew any of that stuff. But working through it, it was interesting to work through and see all that. And so here we are, he's still dealing with Melchizedek and dealing with Jesus being from the tribe of Judah. And what he's going to lay out now in these verses 11 through 19 is that the original priesthood was flawed in the sense that from, a, from a, a long-term perspective, it wasn't flawed like God made an error, but it was imperfect, he says. And, and I'm going to explain what that word perfect means. But it was insufficient. It only gave temporary access to God. In fact, it had very limited, let's call it limited access, Okay? There was limited access to God because it was an insufficient priesthood. So that's point number one, verses 11 through 14. It was, it, it was limited access to God. Who got to go in and be in God's presence, guys? Who? And how many times a year? Once a year. Now, could people see God's presence? They could see it. They could be near it. And how... Did they get near it? They had to go to where the tabernacle was. See, that's the whole difference. In the old system, you had to go to see God. In the new system, guess what? We're to go be God to the world because where's God dwell now? In us. In us. So we take God to people. When we're handing out food on the north side and we're interceding with people, we are actually taking God's presence to people. Isn't that incredible when you stop and think about it? For thousands of years, they had to go to a temple and they couldn't even get next to it except when they interacted with a high priest who would then go in and bring forgiveness to them. And so the first part of this section, he's, he's talking about the insufficiency of the old priesthood. But in the second part, verses 15-19, through 19, he's saying we can have unlimited, unrestricted access to God because of our great high priest. And that's what we're going to look at. So let's read this because Jesus was the perfect high priest. He was perfect. He was eternal. And He brought us unlimited access. <coughs> you ever been to a special event and had unlimited access? It's a cool thing. 
You know, you ever been to an event and not had it, and you see all these people walking around backstage, you know, with badges, you're like, how did they get to go back there? Unlimited access. Do you know why Jesus came, guys? He didn't come to die for your sins, although that's a part of it. He came to give you unrestricted access to the Most High God, to His presence, anytime, 24-7. Do you ever think about that? See, so often we focus on Jesus, and He should be something that we're grateful for, and our eyes should look to Him. But the reason He came was to bring us into the presence of Almighty God the Father. And I think sometimes we don't take advantage of that. It's like having this unrestricted access badge and we sit back watching everything going on and we can go be in the presence of God anytime. Anytime. And so let's read the text and we're going to look and unpack this just a little. Starting in verse 11. Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than one named after the order of Aaron? For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one of whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe, from which no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, and in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priest. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and its usefulness. For the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. There it is. We draw near to God. Guys, what does it mean to draw near to God? It means we take advantage of the unlimited access we have to go into the presence of Almighty God. I mean, in verse 11, it says, now if perfection... Sometimes when we see that word in Scripture, we think maturity, completeness. To understand what perfection means, we've got to go down to verse 19. He says, for the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. So what is perfection? It's drawing near to God. It's being in God's presence. How do we get to do that? Through salvation in Jesus Christ. That's what perfection is. This is a synonym for salvation. Now, why is that important? Well, let's go back to chapter 5, verse 9. And being made perfect, He became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey Him. Being made perfect in the presence of God. 
do you realize, um, and if you go down to the end of the, uh, this chapter, and we're going to look at this next week, but it, 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 there's a verse, I think it's verse 25 or 29. Um, it's verse 25. Look at this. Consequently, talking about Jesus, He is able to save to the uttermost, to the very end, those who draw near to God through Him since he, is, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Do you realize that Jesus, it's not just a one and done thing for us. He is praying for us constantly in the presence of the Father for our salvation. Why? Because we blow it every day. And so He's interceding for us every day. Father, they're with me. Father, Dave's with me. Anders is with me. Father, help them. Remember, faithful to complete it. He's going to keep working out our salvation. That's Jesus interceding for us. What's our responsibility? Paul says to work out your salvation with what? Fear and trembling. Because <coughs> God's holy and we're not. We live in an unholy world. And part of the problem with the old system is God was holy and man wasn't. And with the partial system they had set in place, which was, remember, it was a picture of what was to come. It wasn't complete yet. That we couldn't go into the presence of God because God can't have unholiness in His presence. Remember what He told Moses? As Moses, he said, keep, you better keep the people. Put a boundary up. Don't let them come up here because my fire will consume them. And that's a merciful thing. So what does he mean by this? I mean, this insufficient priesthood he's talking about. Well, he says, if perfection, in other words, let's just say, if going into God's presence had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, he says, what further need would there have been some for somebody else? In other words, if that could have been accomplished through them, then we wouldn't need a Melchizedekian priest. But he says that couldn't happen. It was limited by design. Okay, It was limited. And so what he says, uh, some of you guys may remember Romans 7, where well, Paul's writing to the Roman church, and he says, listen, if it, would not, if it were not for the law, I wouldn't know what sin was. It was sin that taught me what my needs were. And so the law was given never to be the source of righteousness for people. It was never given to people, you keep this and God's going to accept you. It was meant to drive people to the priest every year. And every year these people would come humbly into God's presence. And what would happen? The priest would offer a sacrifice. There was always sacrifice. There was sin sacrifice and blood and forgiveness. And that was the pattern God was training His people to understand. Sin, sacrifice and blood, and forgiveness. And it was every year they would do it, but those people did not have unrestricted, unlimited access to God. And that was an insufficient... The whole system was a type of Christ. It was just to point to Christ. So that later... John the Baptist in John 1 would say, there's the Lamb of God. Why? How would they know what that meant if they didn't have the system that had been put in place? And so it was meant to point. 
Sin always required a shedding of the blood. How should that make you and I feel about sin? That's the other thing that the system did was it conditioned the people, supposedly, to be mindful of their sin. And it did. You know why? Because even old evil Ahab, one of the most wicked kings in the world, realized at one point he had sinned and he begged for mercy for God and God had mercy on him. As evil as Ahab was. But, that's not the way it was intended to be forever. Yeah? Also with the, uh, with the old system, the priest goes in once a year to, to, to have atonement for the people, but there was also the, the sacrificial system where if you had you know, committed a trespass against God or done whatever, and so, as you've been saying, it, it inculcates in them an idea that sin... The remission of sin comes at a cost. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's expensive for me to go get a lamb and to take that lamb to the priest and for it to be killed. I, I get nothing from that other than remission. You know, it, it, I don't get to eat it. I don't get to do anything. The priest gets to take the whole thing. And so... And see, I think we look at that and we take that for granted. We don't understand the cost that it had for those people. Uh, not to mention the cost of going to the, the tabernacle from wherever they were or coming to the temple from wherever they were to do that. It required something of them to let them know that sin had a cost, right? And F.F. Bruce says, the whole apparatus of worship, by the way, what's the purpose of our relationship with God is to worship Him. He seeks worshipers. He created us to worship and be in relationship with Him. And so the whole apparatus of worship, F.F. Bruce says, associated with sacrifice and ritual and the priesthood was calculated to keep men at a distance then. Why? Because man was sinful and God was holy. And there was the mechanism was not in place yet for constant unrestricted access. It was temporary. Hebrews 10, later we're going to look at, says it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. And what that means is not take away temporarily, but take away what? Eternally. And that's what Hebrews, that's what the writer's trying to let these people know. Listen, this system was merely pointing to something better, to Jesus. Um, Hebrews 10 also says, day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties again and again. He offers the same sacrifices which cannot take away our sins. Talking about what? It, It can't eternally... Take care of that. It was a temporary thing. It was never meant to be the thing that was going to last. Now, Jesus knew people would have a problem with this. Real quick, turn over to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. Look at verse 33. Okay, so Jesus was healing people, out doing His thing. Somebody comes up and says, hey, the disciples of John fast often and they offer prayers and so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours, they eat and drink. And Jesus said to them, can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom's with them? He said, the days will come, which we're talking about in Hebrews now, the days will come when the bridegroom's taken away from them, they will fast in those days. But he said a parable. No one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. 
What happens when you do that? Have you ever tried that? My mom, when I'd, when I'd cut a hole in my jeans, I'd snag them on something. You, you wouldn't put a new piece on there because what happens? It shrinks differently. It's different than that old piece of garment. He says when you do that, it's going to tear the new, and the piece from the new will not match the old. No one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins, and it will be spilled, and the skins will be destroyed. But the new wine must be put into fresh wineskins, he says. And no one, after drinking old wine, desires new, for he says the old is good. What Jesus is saying right here is there's going to be people who don't want to go to the new system. He's foretelling that before it actually happens. He's saying there's going to be people who like the old wine. They don't want to go to the new system because to them it's not about God, it's about the system. Remember the Coke illustration? Some people just don't want to go to something new. They prefer the old. And that's what Jesus is saying in that text in Luke. Go back to Hebrews. Let's look at this. This is good because he goes in. Now think about Jeremiah. Jeremiah 31 when he talks about this new covenant, this, this new system God's put in His place for unrestricted access. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put My law in their minds. I'll write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, I will forgive their wickedness. I will remember their sins no more. He says it's going to be about the heart. It's not about the external. What had happened with the people of Israel is a lot of them had thought it was simply about keeping the law. And so they had put safeguards in their place. The Pharisees put safeguards. They weren't evil in doing it. They were trying to protect the people. If, 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 if you're not supposed to work on Sunday, well, then we're going to say you can only take this number of steps. If, if you're not supposed to do this, we're going to put a, a fence around it so that you can't get to that point. But it was good. It wasn't an evil thing. It was a good thing they were trying to do, but they had missed the point of the system. And, and what God was doing. And so Jesus comes on the scene and they're saying, well, we're children of Abraham. He says, no, you're not because Abraham looked, he longed to see my day and he saw it. Abraham was not saved by works. He was saved by faith. Grace through faith. And so Jesus is trying to tell them, I am the completion of the system. Graduation day has happened and it's here. I'm on the scene. And people weren't getting it because they liked the old. Now I want you to think about the things that the new covenant Jesus brings offers. First of all, eternal forgiveness. Not temporary. 1 Peter 2 says, He bore our sins on His body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. You see, when the people of Israel took a sacrifice to the priest, He sacrificed that animal so that they would be forgiven. But then they didn't have an internal ability to say no to sin. Do you understand that? That's why the the bulls and the, the goats and the lambs they took in there, it didn't change their inside. It simply was an appeasement to God on a yearly basis symbolic of what Christ was going to do in the future. 
But it didn't change who they were on the inside. They had they were still sinful people and still had the they weren't being conformed to the image of Christ on the inside by the Spirit living in them. And so when Jesus comes on the scene, he gives us eternal forgiveness and something new changes from the old system. Now he says, You're going to be baptized with my spirit. You're going to have a new spirit on the inside. And you have the ability to say no to sin at every turn. Now, we don't always choose to do it, but we have the ability to do it. Did they have that ability before Jesus died on the cross? Yes and no. I see your head's kind of going, well, maybe, yeah, kind of. Some God temporarily put His Spirit on people, but, but they didn't have the Holy Spirit living in them. Like we do. But we gain eternal forgiveness because of what Jesus did and an ability to say no to sin. He says you also get eternal life. You get eternal life forever. He says in John 11, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in Me will live even though he dies. Whoever lives and believes in Me will never die. So what do we do? We go to sleep. We don't have to worry about dying. Death is not a thing for us. It was for the Old Testament people. They, had, they thought about it all the time. They didn't... It, it, very rare would you hear maybe David when he talked about his son, I'll go to him. He had some kind of understanding. Job had some kind of understanding about it. Some people did, but the vast majority of the people of God, they had no idea about this eternal life. In fact, you had a whole sect of Sadducees that didn't even believe in the resurrection. And so, and they were leaders. The Sadducees were the leaders of the Sanhedrin. That was God's holy supreme court. And they didn't even believe in the resurrection. But now he, Jesus is saying, hey, you don't have to worry about dying. And that was one of the benefits of the new covenant. Another thing was a clear conscience. In Hebrews 9, later we're going to get to this, it says, how much more then will the blood of Christ who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. Do you guys realize that when we sin, whatever it is, that you don't have to clean up your life, Joe, to go serve God? You can serve Him. You can serve Him knowing that you just blew it because you were never righteous enough to serve Him. I want you to think about that for That's a second. That's a lesson that yeah, you didn't lose anything. None of us, or most people don't understand. No! Listen, I, ch- I shared with Anders. Last Monday, I think I, I don't know if I shared, with, I think I shared with you guys. I lost my temper in 37 years with my wife. I've never yelled at her like I, I yelled at her a week ago Monday. We were so heated over something and I was sinful. I was mad. And man, that, that came out. And then I had to go to the radio station and get on there and tell everybody how good God was and how you ought to be listening. I mean, we've got to be all in. And I just blew it so bad. That was tough, wasn't it? It was tough. I get there and David Gray's there because Brad's not there and he goes, you okay? I go, no, not really. And he goes, you want to talk about it? I go, no, not really. <laughs> not right now because we're going to go on air in like two minutes. There's no way I'm going to be able to tell you everything. Just pray for me. But on the way there, 
God was revealing to me, Doug, you're never righteous enough to talk to anybody about me. It's only me through you that's going to communicate anyway. So just lean on me. That's why I died. And you know what? I was able to go and do it. And I was grateful. And it made me humble. It made me thankful. It made me want to worship Him because I praise You. And I just turned on a praise song and said, Lord, thank You that in spite of my sin, You still use me. And there's going to be people listening that are going to need to hear about the God who can take away our sin and can give us hope. And so I went and did it. But this unrestricted access to God, they never had that in the Old Testament. Once they sinned, they had to wait a year to go to the priest. They couldn't just go directly to God. And guys, that is an unbelievable gift we have that I believe we take for granted on a daily basis. That we don't take advantage of this unrestricted access to God the Father. We go to God, we go to God all the time when we're in need, but we don't go to Him when we need to praise Him. We don't wake up in the morning saying, God, thank You that I get to come into Your presence. I get to be right here with You. Thank You for all that You do. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through Me. We have unrestricted access through Jesus. And that's what He's saying. And listen, now go back. If you go back to verse 11, if the Aaronic priesthood could have brought perfection, that's access to God, it would not have been replaced. There's a new priest. It's Jesus. He's our priest. And He, you know... In verse 12, it says, when there's a change in the priesthood, there must be a change of the law. Jesus didn't destroy the law. He said, I came to fulfill the law. And now in place of the old, we have the new. That's why Jesus came to come give us access. Two quick things about the text, and I'm going to close. For the old priests, they had to do, it was all based on external. The right tribe, they, it didn't matter what kind of character they had. If they were from the tribe of Levi, they were priests. But Jesus is different. It's an internal thing. Now, look down in verse 16 real quick. Who has become a priest, not on the basis of legal requirement concerning bodily sent, but by the power of an indestructible life. Jesus died and was resurrected. Actually, flip, go back to 15. This becomes even more evident when another priest, there's two words for another in the New Testament, two Greek words. One is alas and one is eteros. Eteros means another of a different kind. Alas means another of the same kind. The word eteros is used there, which means another of a different kind. Jesus was never the type of priest that the Levites were. He was different. It says arises... Another priest arises, it says. And the word arises means not because of outside stuff. The, out, the other priests were anointed by other people, but from the, this arises is from the inside. It's like the same word used when Jesus resurrected. So what does that mean for us if you look at all this? Verse 18 says, set aside. Set aside. What is the former? That means remove what is established. That's literally what that means. Because it's weak, it has no strength, it's useless, it has no profit. 
David, if you were swimming in the Atlantic and you were drowning because you were halfway there and you were exhausted, and I come to you and I say, hey, I'm going to give you a book on swimming. That's what the law is. It's giving a book on swimming to somebody who's drowning. Yeah, it may have useful information in there, but it's not going to save them. What has to happen? Somebody has to pick him up out. That's what Jesus did. He picked you and me up and He said, trust in me. Only in me. Not in me plus works. Galatians 3 says, don't be so foolish. Don't, don't start off in the Spirit and then start adding works to it, guys. We have to guard against that. And that's the walk away for today. Am I adding to what He's done or am I simply trusting in Him? Let's pray.